0: Well, I heard a very good explanation Wednesday night at the camp. Brother Graham said, if you dig deep enough, talk long enough, you can find something good to say about anybody. Thank you, sir. (laughs) I want to say thank you to Brother and Sister Barkus for entrusting this pulpit to me. And I want to thank you folks for showing up. I want to think maybe I had a little bit to do with it, not the bagels. amen we as christians we as christians raise a cry and hue about the abortion industry and we should but i think it's just as despicable to abort a soul amen just as despicable to abort a soul and a soul will abort if it isn't fed, if you don't know why you do what you do. And I am going to teach by request from the tabernacle plan, only one subject, the labor. There's not enough time. Brother Barkus told me I could take the time I needed, and I said, church starts tonight at 6.30. Amen. So I'm just going to cover a little bit of this subject and I do want to warn you I like to be a little interactive. If I ask a question and you answer the question it's not intended to embarrass or offend. I don't want to abort a soul. Amen. So please stay with me and if somebody knows how to hook this thing up I can I can do it. <clears throat> uh-huh. God's a good God. <clears throat> Not necessarily in the goodness that we like to think about. Somehow in this affluent uh, society Everything, everything good has got to be some new gadget or some more money or something. Sometimes he withholds and it's good. The, probably Paul, some say Apollos, wrote to the Hebrews and said, Thank you. Wrote to the Hebrews and said, He that endureth the chastening of the Lord, Is a child of God. But he that endureth not the chastening is an illegitimate child. What is an illegitimate child? It's a child that is claimed by its mother but not claimed by its father. I want the presence of the Lord to claim me. I want him to know I'm his child. I want him to know, as parents, most of you are not, as parents, We see the growth and development of our children, and we are proud. When they don't grow, when they don't develop, when they get into things that they had not to, we are ashamed. And He told us in no uncertain terms, if we're ashamed of Him, He is what? Ashamed of us. I don't want God to be ashamed of me. Amen. Amen. I've brought a couple of props along with me. This particular chart I brought because, again, by request, Sister Barkus, this is a G.T. Haywood chart. This is one of his early printings, printed in 1913. They're very hard to come by. As you can see, this one is very old. I found this in an old bookstore on the west side by the help of Brother Harry Mosier, which is my wife's grandfather. Uh, I didn't tell Sister Barkus I have two of these, not just one. <clears throat> the problem is the second one has been cut. And I, I don't know what they did with it, but I couldn't part with the pieces. And I, I have a second one hidden in a file drawer. But this, this is valuable material. I, I cherish <clears throat> these things. The Lord made a way for me. Uh, we took in a young lady from the Ivory Coast. To make a long story short, God worked a great miracle in her life, uh, has blessed her. She married a young man by the name of Brandon Bacon out of the Fall Creek Church. Brandon's father is the head uh, deacon. Therefore, he is responsible for all the groundskeeping, and custodial work. And he told me if I came over, he would let me go through the museum. I had a private tour of the G.T. Haywood Museum at the Fall Creek Church. And I I asked uh, Brother, Bant, Brant, uh, Brother Bacon, I said, would you just let me do one thing? He said, what's that? Just let me stand in the pulpit of G.T. Haywood. I want to stand where a man of such wisdom and such talent yielded it all to the presence of the Lord and God has, has used this man. When others were arguing and fussing, he let God give him revelation. This is a book I found in this West Side used bookstore. This is one of G.T. Haywood's early publications. And where is he? There was a gentleman in here who told me that he had uh, several. He's not here. He had several of G.T. Haywood's books And he said, uh, he doesn't loan them. I said, no problem. I don't want to borrow them. I want them. I also brought with me another book. This book is Frank Kurtz's book from uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. This is one of the first printings of his book. It's still now available. And it's available in a leaf, a loose leaf form, and use a white plastic uh, cover. It's a very nice book, but it's not like finding one of the originals. I found this in a used bookstore. <clears throat> I've brought three other books because of something that has to do with the tabernacle plan. I feel like the need to lay some groundwork, I don't know how far Brother and Sister Barkas have already gotten with the tabernacle plan. And not having been in your class, if this is redundant, I'm sorry. But the tabernacle plan is pure symbolism. Everything about it is symbolism. The scripture is replete with symbolism. And there is a problem with that symbolism. Paul wrote to Timothy very emphatically and he said, Study to show yourself what? Approved. You know, the Lord never uses terms like that unless there's a possibility of being disapproved, unapproved, being on the wrong side of an idea, being where you're in a problem. And the reason for that is the Lord said, if you don't receive a love of the truth, I will send strong delusion that you'll believe a lie and be condemned. And folks, there are possibly more I could stand corrected on that, but three main areas of thought concerning the tabernacle plan. And I have chosen to follow with the F.E. Kurtz tabernacle plan thought because I believe it follows the scripture most closely. And if you truly want to be a scholar of scripture, then there are three books that need to be in your library. One is called Sketches of a Jewish Social Life. No, I won't loan this book. You can get your own. <clears throat> the second is Wilson's Dictionary of Bible Types. And it's an invaluable asset. And the third one, probably the least of the value of the of the three books, but still it's an excellent reference. It's called Manners and Customs of the Bible. You have heard, <clears throat> I, I have no doubt you've heard men preaching on the bride or a Jewish marriage. Forget an American marriage. The Jewish marriage is incredible when it comes to types and shadows in the Bible. Matthew chapter 22, the gentleman that got to the marriage supper and the governor of the feast says, why don't you have a marriage garment on? And he was speechless. Why was he speechless? Because the father had provided a garment and he refused to put it on Therefore, he was bound hand and foot and cast into outer darkness. I don't care how long and loud you speak with tongues. Put on the marriage garment. We're still in symbolism. What garment? Which garment? Is Is it just simply fruit of the Spirit? Well, that's another whole subject. I'm involved in the labor. But you understand that in the Scripture, there's got to be an understanding of the symbolism, the labor of water in particular, but the fact that there's water in it. What is the water? Out from under the throne comes a clear crystal river of water, and on the banks of it are 12 trees that yield their fruit yield their leaves once a month for the healing of the nations what is that water why did he choose water it is so it is so um enigmatic because it requires an extensive study and it requires viewing and here's a rule of thumb my pastor pounded this in My head, I believe it's absolutely important if you decide that there is a certain element to a symbolism, for example, oil. Oil is, well, there's those who teach that oil is symbolic of the Holy Ghost. Probably not. There are those who teach that oil is symbolic of faith. That's probably more like it. The thing is, that symbolism has to fit every, every uh, category, every study from cover to cover because, friend, God is not the author of confusion. He doesn't change ideas in the middle of the stream. He didn't reinvent and revamp this program. It was before the foundation of the world, and it will be on Judgment Day just like He built it. Praise God. So if I'm studying and I discover something, but it doesn't fit, then I'm wrong. That's just how simple it is. Amen. So the labor <clears throat> and symbolism in the tabernacle plan, which I find it absolutely intriguing that G.T. Haywood, during uh, 1913, during the early teens, when <clears throat> others were just simply arguing after Post Azusa Street revival, others were simply arguing this man had such an insight. If you are a history buff, you know in 1913 what occurred worldwide. World War I. <clears throat> there is a there is a mindset, even in this country. <clears throat> World War I is raging. One of the bloodiest wars. We used mustard gas, killed masses of soldiers. We muddied the lines of of nationalities. Great things happened in 1913 to 1918 as far as worldwide goes. But here is a man who can keep focused and get a grip on the sweet things of God in the presence of God. That's why I like G.T. Haywood. I wish, you know, I I don't want to elevate him above Jesus Christ, but I'd like to shake his hand and hug his neck just one time. And I think I'll get that chance. Praise God. Right after me and Jesus have a long talk. (laughs) Praise God. But here is a man who keeps focused on into the 20s. If you're not a history buff, the 20s were the roaring 20s in the United States of America. The first time in this country that women actually began to cut their hair. That's where the page boy haircut came from. That's where the flapper mentality came from. Short skirts and speakeasies and the fuss between, uh, um, what do they call them, prohibitionists and those who wanted free liquor to pour everywhere. In the middle of that was also a crime spree in this country. That's the days of Al Capone and Bonnie and Clyde and a few other well-known names. But in the middle of all of that that was, that was in a whirlpool around us, there were men who were dedicating their lives and hearts and minds to the study of the Word of God. And folks, this nation is in a whirlpool. It may not be Bonnie and Clyde because they wear black suits, white shirts and ties and sit in boardrooms today. They use legal briefs instead of guns, but you're still being stolen blind over and over. Enron, you name it. You're still being stolen blind over and over again. I can't answer $4 a gallon gas, but one thing I can answer is that in the middle of all of this, I've got to stay focused. I've got to understand the symbolisms of the things of God. See, Brother Fogner, I thought you were teaching on the labor. I am. I am. You see, this symbolism, for whatever it's worth, All these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Everything in that book is written to guide you in some way, somehow. Everything. Symbolism. Types, shadows. You know, gold is a symbol symbol. Or symbolism of deity. Silver, a symbolism of salvation. Brass. Now, brass is where the argument starts. What is brass a symbol of? He told them, I want you to take brass and make this brazen laver. And I want you to make the foot of it of the same thing. And fill it with water. And place it. He said, "For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Praise God. That labor this was somehow got in the wrong place. that labor <clears throat> was so beneficial. And I want to touch on that, but I've got a warning here about things in the Scriptures. How many know that Eve ate an apple? I told you I was going to do interactive, and it was not intended to embarrass anybody, but Eve didn't eat an apple. There isn't any place in the Scripture that says Eve ate an apple. If you read your manual for Search for Truth, you will know that Millions of dollars were spent in the Mesopotamian area in the Fork of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers to prove that apple trees don't grow there. Doesn't matter anyway, because she ate the fruit. He's got the fruit. John 8, 32. This is, this is the most offended scripture in the Bible. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? Okay, do we vote on it? It is make you free. The ambiance between set and make are so vast because set gives me a mindset that some hunter has opened his live trap and set the rabbit free. Whereas the term make means it's developed. It took time to cut it, sand it, finish it put it together and finally get a finished model. That's exactly what this study that we're talking about does to us. It makes us, it develops us, it works on us. It has something, some uh, uh, attribute to it that hones us and polishes us. Folks, what's really concerning to me, one evening in our church, as I began to preach, there was a woman who leaped out of the seat and stood in the aisle and she held up her hands and said pastor when is it time to receive the Lord I said, it's now, praise God. And down the aisle she came, tears dripping off of her chin. She fell on her knees and lifted her hand. I didn't even know who invited her. I didn't know who she was. She came in shortly after service had started and she began to be concerned with some things. She had some kind of a symbol on the lapel of her jacket. And she stood up and she tried to pray and finally she's fumbling with this thing and she got it off. She threw it down on the altar, lifted her hands and God filled her with the Holy Ghost. I don't know what that thing was but I got it out of there. I still don't know what that symbol was. I don't want it around. But she began to allow God to develop in her. Receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a marvelous move. But folks, she never darkened the door again. I found out where she lived. I went over to her house. I tried to talk to her. The bottom line is she didn't want any teaching. Folks, I love the saving. blessing of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It is such an exciting thing to feel the presence of God. I am not really too demonstrative. You've never seen me run the aisles, but I can do it. Praise God. Amen. But there is something involved with teaching. Praise God. Teaching. Without a foundation, it'll crumble when the winds blow And the rains come and the ocean pounds against it if it's just built on sand. But friend, if it's built on the power of the word of God, there is nothing that can destroy you. Nothing that can destroy you. How many know? Somebody's already mentioned it to me this morning. You can make a doctrine out of anything. And folks, this comes straight out of the Bible. Judas, went and hung himself, go and do thou likewise. I doubt that's a real good doctrine. The church would be short-lived, wouldn't it? <clears throat> Besides that, folks, please, in everything that you do, get yourself a good Bible and read it. Praise God. Why do you think that the church went into a dark ages. One of the real reasons it did is because reading of the Bible was forbidden to the laity. And it seems such a powerful revelation that, I can, that he could write 95 ideas and, and put it on the door of the cathedral in his bare feet because it was such an exciting revelation that the just shall live by faith. If I could reach to Martin Luther and say, listen, there's something you don't understand. The just shall live by faith, but guess what? You don't have to just pretend to be justified. You could be buried in the precious name of Jesus Christ and have your sins remitted, praise God. You could be on speaking terms. You don't have to wait till ex cathedra. You can be on speaking terms with the great high priest himself. Praise God. Oh, yes. I'm talking about the labor. (laughs) Amen. Oh, but when we begin to study it, it's a simple little thing. Actually, uh, the tabernacle wasn't very big. And there is a problem with this tabernacle plan. I don't know who drew that. Anybody know what's wrong with it? It's very simple, very little thing, but it's wrong. Exactly. Thank you. The holiest of holies and the holy place are the same size. And the holy place is twice as big as the holy of holies. Now, you see, Brother Faulkner, that's not, you know, that's just a little thing. You're on the wrong path already. Praise God. You're on the wrong path already. I know we're called fundamentalist. We're called literalists. We're called all kinds of things. But the minute you step on the path of compromise, you are sliding in a direction that you can't get stopped. And before it's all over with, you don't even need to bother darkening the church door. It's just a social exercise. Praise God. Just a social exercise. God, help me. To understand. You see, there's another arm to this as well. And that's the lists. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. Apostolics, Pentecostals rather, not apostolics, Pentecostals fall into this realm of making lists. You can't smoke. You can't drink. You can't go, well, uh, you can't, well, well, you... You've missed the concept. you missed the whole point. Praise God. The point is this. If you will be led of the Spirit, then are you a child or son of God. If I'm guided by lists, then I'll be carrying baggage forever. I can go here, but I can't go there. I can wear this. Honey, what do you think you got a conscience for? Let the Holy Ghost convict you. It is your walk, not mine. Praise God. And when you stand in the judgment, you're going to stand naked. There isn't anybody, no philosopher, no college professor. Nobody's going to stand there and say, well, you got to take him because I taught him. No, friend, you're going to stand on your own two feet. Praise God. Say, the phone, is this the labor? Yes, it is. I'm getting there. This is the labor because these concepts, yes, that's the term, concepts i need to know a concept praise god lord lord i you know i know everybody else is doing it but i'm uncomfortable then don't do it praise god don't do it oh but brother phone i don't see anything wrong with it stop rationalizing if the holy ghost is convicting you get a grip on it and live it before the lord Praise God. Well, I probably don't need to go any farther than that, but it's a truth. Amen. Get that concept because you'll find out your walk with God will be a whole lot easier. Amen. The laver, just a little dot in between the brazen altar and the door, but its strategic location is strategic in the church. Folks, it is vogue today to speak with tongues. Now we we don't necessarily agree that it's valid tongue talking. Lord, oh, how much time do I have? We're not so sure what's valid tongue talking. I grew up, I grew up in the area of the the birth of the charismatic uh, movement. I am very familiar with the Glory Barn. I was. Uh, I knew uh, uh, Dr. Hobart Freeman. I knew both of his son-in-laws, David Freeman. Yes, it's a son-in-law. David Freeman and Bruce Kinsey. I have been to the Glory Barn. There were thousands of people from five states. You had to get there at 7 o'clock in the morning in order to get a seat. They had to build annexes with uh, closed-circuit TV so everybody could see. The organ on the platform had four keyboards. I can't play one, let alone four keyboards. And oh, the... Well, I better not say that. But anyway, all of those things... Dr. Hobart Freeman taught that you couldn't take medicine and yet when he was being indicted for tax evasion, he stopped giving himself insulin shots and allowed himself to die so he didn't have to go to court. Now folks, come on. There's a concept about the things of God and it needs to be truth. It needs to be tried and true. I spent time only because I was working with some folks that were, that were vacillating between the glory barn and our church. And it is, please forgive me. I know this is going to sound like I'm making fun. But folks, when a thousand people stand up and the leader says, okay, everybody, start talking in tongues. Let's hear your prayer language. That's exactly what it sounds like. Thousand people doing it. <clears throat> and then he says, Okay, that's enough. We're going to move on. Folks, come on. I want to walk in the Spirit. I want truth in my life. You see, talking in tongues is vogue. Everybody does it now. It doesn't matter if you're some sect of the, of the, uh, <clears throat> Amish Mennonites, it doesn't matter if you're some kind of a a, a right-hand sect of the Catholic Church. There's people who talk in tongues everywhere. But the basic bottom line argument will not be talking in tongues. It'll be baptism by submersion in the precious name of Jesus. That's the dividing line. It's the argument. Hey man, are you gonna take the hyssop branch and sprinkle me with a little water? Are you gonna just... uh, Sprinkle me with something. I was in Argus, Indiana, and I was an usher at a wedding. And the, it was a, I won't tell you where, but it was not an apostolic church. And so the wedding party, all the rehearsal is over with. And the pastor of this church is trying to impress everybody. He said, I got to tell you something. It was so funny. <laughs> What's funny? Last Sunday morning, we had a baptismal. And he said, I told the deacon to fill the baptistry. Honey, it's not even a good bowl of ice cream, let alone a baptistry. He said, I told him to fill it with water. And so we got up on the platform. They're lined up for the baptism. And he said, I opened up the fountain and it was empty. He said, so I just gave him a dry cleaning. No, 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 no. Why does that make my heart hurt? Because the concept of the need of cleansing in the precious name of Jesus Christ is just run roughshod, ridiculed, wasted. The labor is strategically placed and he says in that labor, before the law, wherefore the law was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. That labor, whatever concept or teaching or book that you look in, when they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall. It's, you know... If you want to, I'll sprinkle you. If you want to, I'll baptize you once backwards or three times forward, however you want it. It's just an outward sign of an inward grace. Honey, you've got to be reading between the lines because I don't see that there. It says he shall wash. He shall. And there's something else. I've italicized it. That's not italicized in the scriptures shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. Somebody said, well, you know, if that was for the priest, I'm not the pastor, so I don't have to worry about it. Hold it, you're missing the concept. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood my God, am I actually going to stand before the Lord and try to offer up a praise to him and my my garments are unwashed? Zechariah chapter 3, it would behoove you to read the whole chapter. Joshua the high priest is standing before the Lord and saying, God, what's the matter? Lucifer is withstanding me. And the angel of the Lord stood by his side and the angel responds and said, Joshua, it is because your garments are filthy. Wash your garments. Friend, you stand before God with unwashed garments and you give Satan license to toy with your life. Oh, Brother Faulkner, you sound like you're adamant. I believe, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Come on. You won't read that verse in a gospel creed somewhere. Amen. But it's still in the book. It's between the pages. It's preached by the apostles. It's lived by the disciples. And folks, there shall be light in the latter days, in the evening time. We need to turn the candle on because he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be. King James says damned. I prefer to say condemned. Praise God. He shall be condemned. Oh God, there is something here that I need to get a hold of. That that laver of water was there for more than just a place for the birds to light and take a bath. In fact of the matter, Solomon struggled with this thing. I love this. Solomon struggled with this thing. When he built the the temple he wanted everything to be bigger there isn't anything in the temple that Solomon built that came out of the tabernacle except the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Covenant he didn't touch but the laver of water, Solomon made a laver so big that he, instead of the fins or stand or foot as it's called, he carved great rams and <clears throat> each ram and on the backs of those rams was the bowl that held the water and the water bowl was so big, they didn't call it a lake, they call it a sea. Solomon knew something. He knew that his life needed to be washed, to be free. He couldn't get rid of the guilt. He couldn't get rid of all those things. If you don't think so, read the book of Lamentation. Oh, vanity is vanity. All is vanity, saith the preacher. And finally he said, in your youth. Why? He wished he could go back and clean up all those tracks that he had laid and wash away all those things. But Solomon, the only thing he could do